All right, well, we turn now to hear from God's Word. And this morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. So let's turn now and hear from God's Word. This is Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our key truth for this passage this morning is this. God's wisdom makes its place among us and invites us to feast upon its life-giving insight. God's wisdom makes its place among us and invites us to feast upon its life-giving insight. You know, I suspect for many of us, one of the reasons why we find it so challenging just day to day to be in God's Word and to take seriously His wisdom, to, to really try in all the various quotidian aspects of just daily living to submit our thinking and thoughts and decision-making to His wisdom, and, and that on an explicit level, not just sort of on a general, like, oh, I want to pray over my day, but really trying to apply His Word to the specifics of everyday living. I think one of the reasons why that's so challenging for us is that we can tend to wrongly assume that God's wisdom is both far off, it's hard to attain, it's, it's just kind of out there, and it takes massive and, and diligent effort to attain to it. And also we assume that when we do start to draw ourselves into it and, and understand a little bit more, it's still going to be a bitter pill to swallow. It's going to be hard to uh, just feel at home with it, to feel that it really is something that is good for us. And because of these two assumptions, we are just so slow, it can be sort of paralyzing. Uh, to, to seek His wisdom in the daily decisions that we have to make. So it's very easy just to kind of go on autopilot and, and to kind of do the things that we're used to doing, to operate on our own assumptions, and be slow, frankly, to apply God's wisdom to the everyday decisions that we have to make. Well, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, really, I think, at least one of the reasons the, the Holy Spirit has given this to His church is to explode the foundations of this erroneous ways, uh, these erroneous ways of thinking. We see, on the contrary, that God's wisdom is accessible. It's right here. It's, it's close at hand. And we also see that God's wisdom is like a feast, a huge and wonderful feast of the best food and drink that we could ever imagine. And so, really, it's an encouragement to us, uh, an encouragement to us to seek God's wisdom in the everyday decisions that we have to make. And, and so, I just have one question for us this morning, um, but it's a question, I think, that deserves our, our thoughtful attention, something to kind of sit with for a minute and to really wrestle with, um, because a lot hinges on our emotional response to talk about God's wisdom. And so, the question for us is, what is your dominant emotional reaction when you hear talk about seeking God's wisdom? What is your dominant emotional reaction when you hear talk about seeking God's wisdom? Because again, one of the things that this uh, particular passage in Scripture uh, is encouraging us to do, is, is really drawing us into, 
is a deep appreciation of the wonderfulness, the wonderfulness, I think that's the right word for it, the wonderfulness of God's wisdom. It's so good for us. It's close at hand. God has situated it. He's given it a house right in our inhabited world. And it's like a feast of the best food and drink that we could possibly imagine. And so he really wants to draw our affections, our emotional reaction away from the sort of negative uh, feelings that this is far away and something that is bitter and hard to swallow and rather to, to rejoice it, to, to rejoice in it, to embrace it as something that is really, really good. Well, let's see this from the text itself. We see in verse 1, wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. We see, first of all, that God's wisdom, God's wisdom has built a house in the world that he has made. It is accessible. It's perfectly suited, in other words, to the, to the demands of everyday living, to the demands of, of just what happens for you when you wake up in the morning and uh, everything that happens between that and when you go to bed at night. It's perfectly suited to the demands of everyday living because it inhabits the world of everyday living. It, it dwells in this world of flesh and blood, tears and sweat. It is practical. It's hardworking. It's, it's in the fight. It's in the muck and the mud of life. It dwells in this world of celebrations and joys, and romances, and, and longings for you know not what. It is in this world of moves and commutes. It's in this world of school days and homework. It's in this world of plans and ambitions and hopes and dreams. It's in this world of irritations and long days at work. It is in this world of elections and political debates and anxieties about the future. It is in this world of pandemics and unprecedented times. It's in this world of people and personalities and quirks and of the deepest friendships and camaraderie and of awkward conversations. It's in this world that we know. It's in this world of, of our common everyday workday experience. Wisdom has built her house in this world. It's in this world that seems to you and me to be filled with all the things that seem most real and substantive, the stage on which we live our lives. And so wisdom is not far off. It's not separated from us by a river of ethereal unreality, not hidden in a cloud of vague abstractions that are just sort of out there, but take a lot of diligent effort to apply concretely to our world. It's not available only to a special class of especially smart or lucky people. No, far from it. Wisdom inhabits our common workaday world. It's right at the center of our earthy, time-bound human experience. God's planted his house, wisdom's house, right at the center of that. And not only did God establish this house in the world that we experience and inhabit, he established it as a house of authority and integrity and stability. The seven pillars that are mentioned here in verse 1, they're probably a reference to the seven days of creation. We know from elsewhere in Scripture, in fact, we saw it in Proverbs chapter 3, it's by wisdom that God created the world. And remember from last week, from Proverbs chapter 8, we see that one of the ways that we see and experience the validity of wisdom is that we see its mark all over the created universe. At every point we care to look, we see God's wisdom. And, and thus we see that wisdom has a unique and unchallengeable authority as being at the very center of things, uh, of the way that things work and, and just are in this world. Wisdom is the, the, the motor, sort of, so to speak, that, that runs everything, and it's been that way from the very beginning. God established this world by wisdom. She's hewn her seven pillars, as it were. It's very, the very part of her house. It's so uh, integral to who she is. 
And God's wisdom also has integrity. It fits perfectly with the way that God has made the world to be. There's no disjunction between what God says is right and the way that God intends for us to live, the, the counsel that he gives us, and our everyday experience. There's no disjunction between what he commands us to do and how we will live it out and experience it and apply it in the world that he has made. No, it's, uh, it's filled with integrity. It fits perfectly with the way he has made things to be. And it also has stability. It's not a passing fad uh, of a present generation. It's not one insight from one time and period, a flashpoint uh, in, in the historical timeline. No, it, it, is, it has stability. It is the very way that God uh, has designed his rule and direction to operate in the world that we know. And so this is a very encouraging reminder for us that God's wisdom is accessible. It is eminently practical, and it is concerned with the life that you and I live in all of its quotidian detail. How often have we just been so discouraged because we wake up one morning and just the, the flood of the day's events come rushing in upon us. We know that we have to go to this meeting, or we know that there's this difficult situation at work, or we're reminded of the difficulties at home and our relationships, or uh, all the, the things that we are ambitious to do and all the obstacles that seem to be in the way of that. Or even just in our own hearts, we, we want to be people who are filled with joy in the things of God, who are looking not to the things of this world, but to our heavenly reward, to looking to Christ and to heaven. And, and we just feel, how does God's wisdom make a difference? How, how does studying the book of Proverbs, how does opening my Bible and reading you know, my daily Bible plan today, going through maybe even Leviticus, how does this make a difference to my common everyday struggles. And here we see an encouragement that despite appearances, despite the discouragement that we sometimes feel, God's wisdom is at the center of our everyday experience. He's planted it as a house right at the center of all that we experience, all that we know, all the joys, all the troubles. Wisdom is right there and it invites us to apply it, to know it, to grow in maturity and understanding it so that we can live in a way that pleases God and grows our joy and understanding of all that he's called us to in Christ. You know, we're often familiar, or perhaps we're familiar with the way in which royal families, especially in the Middle Ages, established houses, right? And those houses were meant to be marks in the world of their authority, of their presence, and hopefully of their long-term stability. Well, wisdom has a house. Wisdom has a royal house. But rather than being far off, uh, being something that's separate from the common people, it's planted right in the middle of the world that God has made. Not far away, not distant, not separated from us by abstraction or uh, intelligence or anything like that, but right at the center of all that we experience. And it means to be with us, to help us, to grow in all that God intends for us to be. This is a great encouragement to us. So let's let this be an ex exhortation to us to pursue God's wisdom in the place where it may be found in his word. You know, let this be the ammunition that you use when the devil whispers low that the Bible is irrelevant to your life, that it doesn't have much to say to your quotidian experience. No, let this be the, the firm encouragement that, that strikes in your heart the moment that temptation comes in and remind you to run to Jesus, to grow in wisdom, because it has something to say for your common experience, for the everyday details of your life. I, I think John Piper puts it really well. He says it this way. He says, Who would not delight to read a book, the reading of which would change one from useless chaff to a mighty cedar of Lebanon, from a Texas dust bowl to a Hawaiian orchard? Nobody, 
deep down wants to be chaff, rootless, weightless, useless. All of us want to draw strength from some deep river of reality and become fruitful, useful people. That river of reality is the Word of God, and all the great saints have been made great by it. And amen. Amen, folks. That is so true. The river of reality is God's Word. His Word matters more than anything else. It sets the course and direction for the world that He has made and invites us to know it so that we can walk in tune with it and be transformed and shaped by it. So let's be people who pursue it with everything that we've got, knowing that this is a good and great thing. And it's not something that's far off. It's not something that's difficult to attain. No, it's planted right in the middle of our everyday experience. Well, let's see secondly from the remaining verses that God's wisdom is a feast of the best food and drink. That is, it is pleasing and enjoyable to live out. See that it's suited to our nature. It directs us in the way of life that goes with the grain of our created nature. You know, so often one of the, the temptations that we experience is to denigrate God's wisdom, at least in our emotional reaction to denigrate God's wisdom, because so often we hear the word of the Lord, we read in our Bibles, and it strikes right against the grain of our sinful nature, doesn't it? Uh, we, we see what God calls us to, we see our own fleshly passions and desires and how they're often tug right at the opposite way of that. And, and so we can often think of God's wisdom as something that is contrary to our nature as people who are created in His image, as men and women, uh, as just people who inhabit this created world. But in fact, God's wisdom directs us in the, life, the way of life that goes right with the grain of who God created us to be. And in that respect, what it's doing when it's uh, going against the grain of our sinful passions is, is it's chipping away against the things that have made us less human, less like the people that God created us to be. So we do feel that, but don't let that make you think that God's wisdom is something that is discordant with who you are as a man or a woman, as a boy or a girl. Instead, let it be seen as something that is truly in keeping, keeping in step with who you were created to be as people, full of all your personality, all of your desires, all of the things that make you who you are. No, God's wisdom goes right with the grain of our created nature. Now, to be fair, we are not the best judges of what goes right with the grain of create our created nature. So it's not though as, as though we were standing over God's word and, and judging it saying, hmm, does this seem to be you know, continuous with the sort of thing that I want to be or continuous with who I am as a unique individual person. We're not the judges of this. But Proverbs chapter 9 is given to us as an encouragement to let us know that this is right with the grain of what God created us to be. That He doesn't want us to be people who are less than human. He wants us to be people who are fully human, fully created in His image, fully bearing the marks of dignity and value and worth that He gave us at the creation and He's given us in all of our personality. So wisdom helps us to live that out. It also builds us up in our individual personality. You know, God's wisdom works not by destroying uh, who we are as individual persons, but by building us up in ways that fit who we uniquely are. It's life-giving and helps us to glorify Him and serve others in all of our unique personality. You and I were created differently. We were given different wirings and different ways of kind of looking out in the world, different passions and interests, and that glorifies the Lord. He's truly glad to see this. So wisdom doesn't come down as a sort of one-size-fits-all, sort of level the playing field in all respects, knock down all the unique things that make you uniquely you. 
No, wisdom builds all that up. It provides the fertile soil in which that can grow up, not in ways that are selfish or self-centered or seek just to lift you, your, yourself up at the expense of others, but no, to, to grow that into something really good and beautiful, to, to nourish it, to, to grow it, to strengthen it, so that you can serve God and build others up in all the ways that are uniquely you, that, that, that kind of point people to who God created you to be as you. That, that's a wonderful and glorious thing. So wisdom builds us up in our individual personality. It nourishes us as individual persons. Wisdom also directs us how to live in a way that honors and pleases God. God's wisdom leads us in ways of life for which we never have to feel ashamed or embarrassed. It leads us in decision-making that we can be confident about and we can be free. How many of us so long to be able to make decisions and not have to second-guess? To be able to make decisions and not feel the shame or embarrassment of having to hide how we've made that decision or come to that conclusion? How many of us long to be people who can be free? We long to be individual persons, don't we? And to be able to express that in all the ways that are good and glorify the Lord. Wisdom enables us to make decisions that we never have to feel embarrassed about. This is the, the, the great wonder of being people and, uh, and sons and daughters of God. That we have not only the assurance that He loves us, but His direction, His particular direction, that enables us to live in ways that are truly free truly life-giving, truly able to uh, help, help us to engage the world in all of our personality and never have to feel embarrassed or ashamed about it. Now, we are not going to do this perfectly. No doubt, even right now, we are reminded of all the ways in which we failed to live in ways that are truly wise and all the decisions that we have made that we are embarrassed about, ashamed of. Wisdom invites us to know that that is not the end of the story, that we're invited back into it, to, to grow and to cultivate this so that more and more this can be our experience. More and more God can be glorified in the decisions that we make and others can be built up right alongside with us. And so wisdom directs us how to live in a way that honors God and glorifies and magnifies His name in the everyday decisions that we make. And it also exposes us more and more to the awesome vistas of God's majesty in, in creation, in providence, and in our redemption particularly. God's wisdom, it, it captivates our attention. It, it feeds our desire to know things that are amazing and, and wonderful and beautiful. It helps us to observe the intricacy of the world. God, God has a designed a world that is just, the more and more you look around it, the more and more you look at the, the way things are, are and the way things He designed them to be, you just see His wisdom at every step of the way. And it's amazing. It, it's wonderful. So it helps us to observe this. It helps us to observe His providential dealing over the whole course of human history. Uh, Cameron has said this often, and it's just so true. If we were to just take a look at, at the course of church history by itself and, and just see all the mess and the muck that we've gotten into, all the ways in which we, we as Christians, as the Church of Jesus Christ, have failed to honor and magnify the Lord, to fail to live out the gospel without any other sort of additional information into that particular view, we would think there is no way that this you know, succeeds for any length of time. And then we see that, in fact, God has sustained the church throughout these many thousands of years. Not only that, He's enabled it to grow, and many people have come to know Him, and good work has been done. And so we see God's providential hand, His sustaining and patient hand, over the whole course of human history. And then we look at our own lives, and we see God's wisdom at work right there, too. We, we look at the decisions that we've made that, by rights, ought to just have ended it all. 
that by rights we should be even feeling the effects of today. And we see God's wisdom in turning that not only uh, into something that we don't feel, the negative aspects anyway, but something that could even be to our good. That enables us to enter into the difficulties of life with compassion and empathy and, and knowledge. And so we see God's wisdom, His providential wisdom in all the dealings of our lives, whether it's from the big scope, looking over the whole course of church history, or from the small scope, looking at the, the course of uh, the history of our own lives. We see God at work, His providential and wise dealings at work in our lives. And wisdom also attunes our heart to the wonder of redemption and the mystery of our union with Christ. This can't be stated enough. We see how wise God was in fixing things in such a way that our interest in Christ would be as close as it could possibly be. Uh, just to take one example, think of just how astounding it is that God would not only call us his sons and daughters, but also call us his bride. That the, the picture of marriage would be something of a picture of his love, his intimacy with you and me. I mean, I mean that just boggles our minds. It's hard to wrap our heads around it. And yet this is a picture of the love that Christ has for us, his church. That's amazing. And, and that's just one aspect of the redemption that we have, our, of our union with Christ. We could go on and on and on. How wise is the Lord to set up our experience, to set up the course of human history, to set up our redemption in such a way that we would experience this love in the deepest and most profound way possible. God is so wise in our redemption. And so the more we tune our hearts to wisdom, the more we grow in our knowledge of God's word, the more we seek to make decisions in line with this wisdom, the more our wonder and joy in the gospel grows and increases, the more we are just overwhelmed at the thought of his love for us and able to worship him with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our soul. And so it tunes our hearts to the wonder of our redemption and the mystery of our union with Christ. In short, wisdom is only a bitter pill to swallow if we are trying to live by ourselves, trying to live in our own strength, trying to live independently from God. But it is lavish, it is a lavish feast to all those who are seeking to get outside of themselves and to truly live, to truly face each day with all of the wonder that it brings, to truly face all of our troubles and the strength that only God can provide, to truly grow in our knowledge of the gospel, to truly live as people who are united to Him by faith. For, for all of us, for all of those who seek this, wisdom is a lavish feast. It is not a bitter pill to swallow. C.S. Lewis, I think, he said it so well. In this quote, he's talking particularly about um, uh, the way you and I were intended to be as people who become more and more our unique selves uh, in him. But it has reference to this whole idea of getting outside of ourselves, of seeking God's wisdom, uh, of not being people who are self-centered, and really finding in his wisdom a lavish feast, something that is almost like you come to and you think, this is what I was missing, this is what I was created for. So he says it so well. This is what he says. Christ invented, as an author invents characters in a novel, all the, all the different men and women that you and I were intended to be. And in that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It is no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting place for trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. 
what I call my wishes, become merely the desires thrown up by my physical organism or pumped into me by other men's thoughts or even suggested to me by devils. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up, myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Until you've given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found among the most natural men, not among those who, are, who surrender to Christ. How monotonously alike are all the great tyrants and conquerors. How gloriously different are all the saints. That is so true. God's wisdom builds us up in ways that go right with the grain of our created personalities, right with the grain of all that he has created us to be, right with the grain of all that we most desire, right with the grain of all that we long for, all that we long to experience and to enjoy and to know. God's wisdom is the pathway to the better experience of these things. So it is not a bitter pill to swallow. It is right what we were made for. It is a wonderful and lavish feast. And finally, notice that wisdom's invitation implicitly demands a response from us. Think about it in uh, the way it's presented in verse 5, how wisdom's maidens call out from the very heights of the town, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So we must turn aside from simple ways. These are ways of thinking and feeling that assume God's wisdom is far off, assume it is something other than deeply and joyously good, or it's the ways of thinking and feeling that just make decisions in the breezy confidence of our own strength and opinions without reference to God's word. So in contrast to this, we must turn to the way of life. Notice the close parallel between wisdom's invitation in these uh, words and the invitation that Jesus offers when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or in another place, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's a close parallel. And we know that Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. That's how Paul expresses, expresses it to the Corinthians. So think about this. To grow in your knowledge of Jesus is to grow in the wisdom that only he provides. And to grow in that wisdom is to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And to do these things together, it's like partaking of a feast. It's like digging down into the best food and drink that you've ever imagined. That's how God presents it to us. Not as a bitter pill to swallow, not as something like, you know, Remember when we were younger, you had to eat your vegetables, eat your broccoli, and you knew that it was something, well, most as kids, maybe we didn't know this, but our parents knew it, it was something that was good for us, something to force yourself to do, and you know, you just kind of do it, and you, know, you see the benefits later, and, and oftentimes we can approach God's wisdom just like that, just like eating your vegetables, eating your broccoli. That's not how God presents it. He presents it as a lavish feast, as something that is so joyously good for us, and he tells us about it because he wants us to have that emotional reaction to his word. Not to be people who are downcast or depressed or discouraged about his word, but people who approach it with joy and gladness, who know that it's not far off. It's not distant or hard to attain, requiring huge exertions of strength that we feel in ourselves we just don't have. It's right at the center of our everyday experience, and it's right at the center of the gospel. 
The, 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 the invitation here for us is not to be people who are perfect, not to be people who just grit our teeth, have a stiff upper lip, and just do what needs to be done, but who rest, who rest in the gospel, who rest in the, the satisfaction that Jesus has provided for all of our mistakes, all of our mess-ups, all of our failure to live in terms of wisdom, and who, re, who receive this as people who are accepted in Him, who get to live every day in the strength that He provides, in the sure knowledge that it doesn't matter that we've messed up because He's given us another way, a way to live in Him and to apply these insights in Him. So let's do this as gospel people. So a few words of application for us. First, we are invited to seek God's wisdom in the great issues of life, uh, in politics, in business, in relationships, in the quotidian workaday schedules of everyday living. And remember, this just isn't on the level of sort of abstraction or just generalities. Too often, I think we can fall into this. I see so many posts on uh, social media from famous Christians even, and, and they'll express an opinion and, and sort of over that just slap a, a sort of general Christianese sort of language, like, well, in the end, God wins, or, you know, we want to be prayerful about this and that, that sort of thing. That's not necessarily bad, but what God calls us to is, not, is more than just a general sort of Christian background noise, but instead a deep and, and wise application of His gospel, of His word, to the particulars of everyday living. So that as we engage in political debate with one another, we're not just talking about generalities, but we're talking about how the gospel informs how we're thinking about this issue. How the gospel informs the way and transforms it, really, so that we're thinking about it more in terms of how is Christ exalted in the way that I'm talking about this and what I'm seeking to happen in the world? How are other people built up? How is His kingdom expanded? And how am I doing that in a way that, that is truly in keeping with all that He's revealed in His Word, in, in the grand story of redemption? Folks, that takes diligent cultivation. That takes knowing the story. But remember, we have a great exhortation here, a great encouragement to us to know that it's not something that's far off or difficult. It's not a bitter pill to swallow. It's good. It's close at hand. And it's, it's like feasting upon the best things. We're also invited to seek God's wisdom as people convinced of its joy and goodness. So let's eschew all pride and impatience with others, as though we were in on the secret and other people just don't get it and we get really impatient with them. No, as people who know this is something that's really good, as people who know this, this is a feast, let's live in terms of that as people who are patient with others, who are inviting others to experience this goodness with us, and valuing most of all unity and, and love together as God's people. We are finally invited to see God's wisdom in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's not trust in our own wisdom, not trusting in our own efforts to attain God's wisdom in our own strength, not looking to ourselves in any way, but resting in the finished work of Christ for us. We can grow in wisdom because we are united to Him. We feast upon wisdom because we feast upon Him. So Proverbs 9, 1-6 through 6, teaches us that God's wisdom has made its place among us and it invites us to feast upon its life-giving insight. Let's be people who are more and more shaped by the wisdom that God provides, knowing that it is not far off, it is not a bitter, bitter pill to swallow, it is right at, the experience, right at the center of our everyday experience, and it is a joyous feast. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom, which is given to us in the everyday aspects of our everyday lives. And Lord, we pray that we would tune our hearts and minds to the wisdom that you provide every day. Lord, resting in the finished work of Christ, 
more and more growing in our dependence upon Him, more and more growing in our knowledge of and joy in the gospel. And out of that, Lord, growing in our knowledge of your word, which directs us in the particular ways that we live, so that more and more we make decisions, we, we talk about the big issues, we, we, we think about the course, of our, uh, the course and direction of our own lives, not in terms of what we feel in that moment, or the insights or passing fads of this generation, but in terms of your word, of the house that wisdom has built, which is full of authority, which is full of integrity, and full of stability. Lord, help us to be people who live in terms of the wisdom that you provided so that others may see we march to the beat of your drum. We march to the beat of all that you've called us to be in Christ Jesus, that your name will be lifted up in the decisions that we make, that we will be fulfilled and nourished in that wisdom, and that it would, that it would, it would overflow in joy in our hearts, that others would be drawn in to experience it with us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.